Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, big basketball night coming up at Sports Talk Mississippi with you for the next three hours. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Brian Scott Rippey will join us briefly in the 5 o'clock hour as he pulls over safely on the side of the road somewhere in Alabama en route to Tuscaloosa where Ole Miss will play Alabama tonight at 8 o'clock. Mississippi State with a 6 o'clock tip-off tonight against Kentucky at Rupp, Big Blue Nation and whatnot. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank Online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. What does that mean? Well, it means if you're in the market for land or anything related to the purchase of land, like equipment or if you're going to build a house or a cabin or a shop on a piece of property that you've already got, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing land for over a 100 years, and they are fantastic people finest group of people collectively i would say that you'll uh, you'll come across that you are doing business with mississippi land bank you can find branch locations at their website you can also grab a phone number to give them a call mslandbank.com michael borky what's up so the station managers were here in the home base of super talk today okay uh, just for whatever reason i don't know they don't include me on those meetings but the good thing about when those meetings happen is there's always a lot of food. So I have spent mm-hmm. the better part of six hours now going back and forth to a tray of uh, Chick-fil-A chicken minis, like the breakfast chicken minis. And so today was a really good day so far, is what I was yeah. getting at. I knew Did we you clean up your mess in the today. kitchen when you were done eating? <laughs> yeah. See, I, I just bring all my food back to the office and shut the door and continue working, but... I probably burnt all the calories that I ate off by just walking back and forth all day long to where the tray was. That's a win-win. Hey, Dad, you're upset that you weren't invited, right? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. I love some chicken minis, but that's okay. That's okay, because tomorrow, I believe we are all we are all meeting up, or at least the three of us are going to meet up in Oxford. Right. Which, you know, not my favorite city in the whole wide world, but that's where Gus's fried chicken is, and I'll, I'll go eat there, and I'll be happy. You, you are a Gus's... Um, I'm a fool for promoter, it. aren't you? I am big time. I love that place. I did learn who the worst kind of person was. Tell and, me. And, and since okay. you can never figure out who they are, but it's what they did. And so I'm not calling anybody out because I don't know who it was. But the person that goes into a Chick Fil A chicken mini tray just takes the chicken out of the biscuit, but oh. leaves the biscuit behind. The worst. That is the worst kind of person. All right. Question. What if you go the other route? What if you grab the biscuit, leave the chicken, but take the uh, the, the biscuit part of it? Is that okay? That's a little bit better, but still, take oh, the man. entire thing. Take the whole thing and just, if you don't want the biscuit, just throw it away. 
Eat what you like. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, good to be with you this afternoon. You can text the show. The C Spire text line is wide open to you. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Do us a favor. Put your name on your text. It makes it so much easier so that I don't have to say, hey, here's a message from the 228 or whatever it is or the 662. Just give me a name. Tell me who you are. Not because we like want to yell at you, just want to call you by name and appreciate you interacting. Um, and once you do it once, we'll save it. So you don't have to do it every time. Just give it to us one time, we'll save it, and, and that'll be it. Okay. Borky will save it, and we won't have any issues going forward. Very good. Um, Monday night was kind of a bad TV night, wasn't it? There was nothing on. Not a lot going on. College hoops? Yeah, but outside of the SEC, I'm having a hard time watching it. Yeah. Iowa State-Kansas was pretty good last night. Yeah, there was a moment there where you thought Iowa State might could pull it off. Yeah, it's a good... Ah, They had it tied with two minutes to play. Yeah. It's a good Cyclone team coming to Oxford on Saturday morning. It it is. Uh, They have a win against Kansas. They have a win at Texas Tech. They've been a little bit up and down, but that's a talented team. That should be a fun matchup. It's a tough week right now for uh, for Ole Miss basketball on the road tonight against Alabama, and then as you mentioned, hosting Iowa State as part of the SEC Big Twelve Challenge this weekend. Big challenge tonight for Mississippi State as well. Hey, Dad, as they go on the road to Kentucky, it's a Kentucky team that I, I don't know if it's fair to say has found themselves, but it's a Kentucky team that has gotten better and better as the season has gone along. Yeah, they're moving in the right direction. Maybe we could say yes. it that way. That, that you know, because they started off the season as, I mean, that first night watching them get run off the court by Duke, and you were like, oh my God, is something wrong with Kentucky? And you know, they had some ups and downs in the non-conference, and then they lose their first conference game at Alabama, and you wonder, okay, is something wrong with Kentucky? But they seem to have found a little bit of stride, and you know, going down to Auburn in that environment and getting a win. On Saturday, you got you got to feel good if you're a Kentucky fan about the way that that team is trending. And for Mississippi State coming off back-to-back wins, you see, you, I think you find out which way Mississippi State is trending uh, tonight. I, when I watched this Kentucky team, and I saw them a couple of times early, so I did their uh, one of their exhibition games that was on TV against Transylvania, yeah. and then an early non-conference game. I think it was against Monmouth, and I walked away from that going, "Okay, that's a talented group." And John Calipari has the tendency to get his teams better as the season goes along, but there were pretty clear deficiencies. Most of them were on the defensive end. It seems like they've gotten better defensively, like they have bought into the idea of let's play defense. And the thing that really jumped out at me on Saturday is they had a 17-point lead. Auburn came all the way back. You mentioned the environment. It was absolutely electric. I'm telling you, I think that right now Auburn is maybe the most difficult place to play outside of Kansas. Maybe in Duke, but I would maybe even put Auburn ahead of Duke in all of college basketball. Yeah, they've 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 created something down there. They got like a little hornet's nest working uh, with, with the yeah. way that. Plus the the way that team plays, you know, the, the 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 amount of threes they shoot. That that the, the long ball. They say chicks dig the long ball, and they're talking about baseball, but I think. It's true for basketball too. Three pointers get the crowd going, 
and they Big got time. athletic guys who can dunk. I mean, they're they're a fun team to watch, and that's why I think that contributes to that environment. Yeah, but Kentucky. And, and, I mean, they shoot the ball really well. They're shooting almost forty nine percent on the season. Uh, they're shooting thirty five percent from three. Uh, they're they're out rebounding their opponents by ten a game. I mean, this is a very solid basketball team. This isn't, and I've been saying this all week on, on the podcast. It, it, this isn't you know a team with an Anthony Davis or a John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins combo or anything like that, or Carl Anthony yeah. Towns, but they're good. They're good enough to, to beat anybody in the country, maybe outside of, of Duke, who, who sort of proved that point, but they can go toe-to-toe with anybody, I think. Yeah, and I, I think what had like the number, I think it was the second, it was either number two or number four as far as recruiting class in the country, and yeah. it's a, a team this year that's a little bit different in that they've got some experience. They don't have a ton of experience. I think they're yeah. the third or fourth youngest team in the entire country, but they do have the graduate transfer, Reed Travis, from Stanford, and, and yeah. he gives them a veteran presence on the inside. I was going to yeah, say they, that the, their most experienced player is in his first year in SEC play, but he's played a lot of college basketball in Reed Travis. Yeah. Yeah, what former player of the year in the Pac-12? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that matters. And then you know Nick Richards is a second-year guy, and PJ Washington's a second-year guy, and you mix that in with the freshmen that they've got. It's a it's a good group. I, I guess the point that I was going to make about them playing at Auburn and the thing that that kind of was my takeaway. That's a really gritty win, and yeah. I didn't see a lot of grit and a lot of like just toughness in Kentucky. Early in the year, I think the toughness and the grit is a little more evident now. Well, you and I, you and I both know enough about John Calipari to know that he wasn't going to take a soft team very long. He he was either going to grind them into shape or he was going to you know just move on. Uh, so he he's found he's found those guys and, and he's got them. Their mindset is right right now for for what's happening in SEC play. So what's coming up this afternoon on Sports Talk Mississippi? We've got a ton of, wait for it, college baseball coming your way. D1 Baseball has released their full season preview. We've got some projected lineups for both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Scouting grades on a 20 to 80 scale for both of those teams with all of their different kind of position groups. I guess that's the way to describe it. Kind of offensively what they are, defensively what they are. Uh, you know, how do you grade the lineup? How do you grade the pitching staff? So we'll get to all of that starting in the four o'clock hour. A New Orleans lawyer is suing the NFL. Oh, really? More hoops coming your way. An updated bracketology from Joe Lunardi, Mississippi State. A little more change on the football coaching staff. We're going to preview Mississippi State's game against Kentucky tonight with Derek Terry from Kentucky's twenty-four seven site and uh, Luke Johnson will join us coming up in a little bit as well. We'll talk some Southern Miss. Baseball almost here. Spring football will be here before we know it. And what's going on in the hardwood in Hattiesburg? All of that coming up this afternoon on Sports Talk Mississippi as we get started with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. If you want to hit us up, that way is at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. John Clark Packer said, Transylvania, is Dracula the coach there? No. No, Dracula is not the coach there. But I will tell you this. Just an SID. The, <laughs> there, there is a an old rivalry between Transylvania and Kentucky. Obviously, it's not a rivalry that exists now because Transylvania is a division 
three school, I think. They're either D2 or three. I think they're D3. Uh, and Transylvania's campus is actually closer to Rupp Arena than Kentucky's cam- campus. Rupp is downtown, if you're familiar with Lexington at all. And campuses, Kentucky's campus is a couple of miles away. So Transylvania's is actually closer. And Transylvania had what they call the bat walk. The entire team walked from their locker room to Rupp Arena. It was actually kind of a, uh, a neat scene. Golly, this was like back in late October or really early November. i to go back and research the details on that. But uh, actually, I probably won't do that. But it was fun, nevertheless. Uh, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. So let's get to this NFL lawsuit. There's a New Orleans lawyer named Frank D'Amico. And he has filed a lawsuit seeking to compel uh, compel Roger Goodell, the commissioner of the NFL, to invoke Rule 17 of the official rulebook and replay the balance of the NFC championship game from the moment the Rams defensive back uh, Nickel Roby Coleman wiped out without consequence Saints receiver Tommy Lee Lewis before a pass intended for Lewis arrived. The Amico also issued a press release that basically copied and pasted a story from uh, Pro Football Talk. <laughs> word Borky for says, word, Richard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's um, not the best strategy from a legal perspective, I don't think. No, probably not. There's also a Lafayette law firm that has separately informed the NFL that litigation over the outcome could be coming. And here, I think, is the interesting point in this. Lawsuits like this rarely prevail. But the NFL is going to have a little bit of work to do, especially since the D'Amico lawsuit will seek emergency relief aimed at forcing the Rams and Saints to reconvene in New Orleans for the final minute 49 of regulation with the score tied at 20. Here, to me, is the most interesting part. The lawsuit has been filed in Louisiana State Court. You have publicly elected local judges that might be inclined to favorably rule in favor of the plaintiff. What would that mean? Well, it might force the NFL to scramble through appeals courts and or federal courts to avoid what could start as kind of a joke and become a serious problem for the league. At a minimum, you could have a state court judge forcing the NFL to come out and answer some pointed questions specifically about when Rule 17 of the rule book applies. What do you think about this? Excuse me. Well, you sort of hit on it, you know, with, you know, you know, local judges will do a lot of stuff to, you know, to keep their, their constituents happy. You know, we see it in this state and we see it everywhere else. And I mean, this is a, it's great publicity for this lawyer. He's probably going to get a lot of business out of it. Uh, It'll, any elected officials that want to get on board, they'll probably get reelected. They'll be very popular, but is it going to go anywhere? No. I am interested in what you said, though, Richard, that could a judge just quickly put together a ruling and the NFL has to respond to it with some sort of appeal? That would be interesting. And and Borky, isn't the reality if a judge puts an injunction in place, then the NFL has no choice but to respond? Yeah, almost immediately. Hmm. The NFL does, by the way, have plenty of lawyers, and I would imagine that they're already working on this in the event that that 
turns out to be the case. They would immediately appeal the ruling, and they would do it with expediency. And they would the win. timeline in on this is. But the thing is, they would win. They're going to. I mean, I read Michael McCann earlier, and, and that's what he said. Basically, this is an exercise in futility. They just either want the NFL to be held accountable or to answer questions, but the objective here, at least if the people have any sort of um, rational mindset going into this, is not to win because that's an impossible task. Yeah, I agree with you, that. You, you guys are Saints fans. Mm-hmm. Do, do you like that this is happening? I think it's a bit ridiculous. I think it's funny. It, it makes me laugh, but I don't. I know. I know. If if you can take it with the uh, the grain of salt that you know it's not going to go anywhere, that it's just funny that the league is going to have to you know fight this on another front, then that's fine. But if you're somebody who's brought up like this is going to happen, then you're you're wrong and you're wasting your time. And the real winner here is billable hours, of course. Yeah, I just, never loses. <laughs> this lawyer. I mean, if. Like both of you said. Well, I, I don't know that the lawyer that filed it has got anything to gain in terms of billable hours, but NFL lawyers certainly will be able to bill. Somebody, yeah. he, he didn't just decide, he didn't just wake up this morning and say, I'm going to sue the NFL. Somebody came to him and was like, I'll pay you to do it. Well, what does it cost to file a local lawsuit? Oh, I don't know. I'm sure it costs something, though. Yeah. I just, amount. I wonder, though. Just why you, the NFL you, you, hasn't you spend addressed this money this. out of your marketing budget, though. Yeah. Yes, and it's paying off tenfold. But why has the NFL not addressed it? Is it as simple as because they knew something like this was coming and they didn't want to say anything at all, just to avoid uh, self-implication, or do they feel like they don't need to address it? Why has the NFL not said anything? Because the, the NBA addressed blown calls in the past, though, right? Yeah, and the NBA is extremely transparent with blown calls. I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. The game's over. The Rams are going to the Super Bowl. The call was the call, but people are expecting you to say something, anything. So why haven't they done it? I don't know. That, I mean, that, that's 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 just the million dollar question right now. I mean, I can't I can't imagine their lawyers are saying don't say anything because that just adds to any potential controversy. Um, I, I just I wonder know. if the NFL says, look. We have addressed it with Sean Payton. We have addressed it with Gail Benson. If our other teams have questions, we will address it with them. But what do we need? I mean, what do we gain by addressing this publicly before we absolutely have to address it publicly? Don't you you think that maybe that's the stance? Kind of putting it to bed, though, right? I mean, if... If they released a statement this morning, would anybody care by tomorrow? If they just said, the call was blown, we're reviewing our internal policy, we'll have meetings this summer with the competition committee, which, by the way, Sean Payton is like the chairman of, um, which is just extremely ironic. But just the, the it was a bad call on the field. We acknowledge the mistake. We're reviewing the incident, and we're looking forward to considering changes this summer. Would End that make you feel better? I mean, nothing's going to make me feel better or worse, but I think it would make people stop. I saw an interesting comment about this today, about the, the potential to review penalties in, in the future. And it was a good point, that this wasn't a penalty. So how do you review it? How do you, how do you, can you, are we going to be able to review non-calls? I mean, this is one of the things they're going to have to well, come but- up with a solution for. 
that that's some of what they're talking about as to whether yeah. or not basically any what, play in a game should be reviewable. What I mentioned yesterday that the coaches could have the golden challenge that they can break out at any point in the game. And there's just one play where they, they the, the coaches have to tell the, the official, "This is what I want you to. This is what I'm looking for." And do you agree with that? I think that I think. It's it's it seems like a feasible solution, but I do agree with what you said yesterday, Richard, that there will be some coaches who you know blow that out in the first quarter, and then in the fourth something really bad happens, and they're just sitting there, you know, holding the bag. Or an eye in the sky, I think, would be another feasible solution. Have an official up in the booth that either via headset or something can see that and quickly buzz down, throw the flag there. Not not reviewing anything. They've got to do it w- within a set time frame, but have somebody, like when, was it Fox that was calling the game? They had their rules expert in the yeah. booth, immediately went to him, and he said, guys, that's P.I. That should have been thrown. Instead of having that guy in the booth talking to Joe Buck, have that guy in the booth talking to the refs, and when they don't throw the flag, he buzzes down quick. Hey, guys, that's P.I. Drop a flag. Do you prefer the NFL's replay system? or college football's replay system? College. Where every play is reviewed? Every play is re- But again, th- that doesn't help the Saints in this situation, though, because they're not going to yeah. review non-penalties. Well, here, so, here's the one thing that's different. Now, you, you don't have the targeting call in the NFL the way you do in college football. I guess you if this were that, college yeah. football, you could theoretically have buzzed down and said, no, 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 we got to we, – you got to review this for targeting because of the head-to-head, uh, helmet-to-helmet yeah, con- yeah, yeah. contact. Yeah. You might be right there. So so it would have been reviewable, but not from the pass interference standpoint. It but would it would have been, been reviewable difference. from a targeting but, standpoint. It, it, yeah, it's still first down Saints regardless. So. Yeah. No, you're right, because you would have had the, the helmet-to-helmet there. Um, I, I guess the reason I was asking that is, would you prefer to see a system in college where – Coaches have got two challenges, and if they get both of them right, they've got a third challenge, and then the replay booth takes it over in the final two minutes of the halves. Um, I don't know. Sports Talk Mississippi, got a whole lot more coming your way. In the Renaissance Bank studio, Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Tuesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Brian Scott Rippey will join us in a bit. He is en route to Tuscaloosa for Ole Miss and Alabama. Late game tonight at 8 o'clock tip-off on ESPNU. A couple of hours before that, it's Mississippi State at Rupp tonight to take on the Kentucky Wildcats. And to talk a little bit about that ball game. Derek Terry from the Kentucky 24-7 site. That's catspaws.com. You can follow Derek on Twitter at Derek S. Terry. Derek, appreciate a few minutes of your time this afternoon. How big a game is this tonight for Kentucky? You know, I would say it's a big game. It's uh, sandwiched a little bit in between. Uh, Kentucky went to Auburn on Saturday, and then you got Kansas coming in on this upcoming Saturday. So, you know, maybe had Mississippi State not been having such a good season and, and such a good team, it might have been a, a trap game. But, I, you know, I think Mississippi State deserves a little bit more respect than that. And I think it's a big game. And the players and coaches yesterday were, you know, sure not to not to overlook uh, this Mississippi State team. Um, we, we were talking about Kentucky's game against Auburn just a little while ago. And I made the point that, you know, when I did a couple of Kentucky games earlier this year, you know, you kind of walked away from it going, okay, there are a lot of areas that they can improve, but there's plenty of talent. You just weren't sure how much fight there was. 
I thought the game against Auburn kind of showed a, a toughness and a grit and maybe some defensive intensity that hasn't been there. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, I think so. You know, I think for Kentucky, uh, depending on when you did those games, a lot a lot changed once Claude Green left. Yeah. Ashton Hagens became the full-time point guard, and I think the team really taken off with him. You know, he's a, he's a great defender. Uh, I would say one of the better defenders in the league, probably in the country. And you know, Tyler Hero is, is also another pretty good defender uh, in terms of anticipation and, and gambling for steals. I think those two kind of hunt for steals as much as any guard. Uh, have under John Calipari at Kentucky, and you know I think they, you know, heroes kind of got that will to win. You know they got some guys like Keldon Johnson and Reed Travis, and you know just like you were saying, they've got a lot of talent. And you know now I think you're seeing that they're starting to put it together. I mean at Auburn, I, I know the lead eventually evaporated, but to go up 17 in that kind of environment, you know, it really yeah. impressed me. And you know, I think that was a pretty big takeaway for me after the game to be able to survive. Bryce Brown going crazy in the second half, and just being able to get out of there with a the win, I think, should give this team a lot of confidence. You mentioned Tyler Hero as a defender. He certainly had the reputation as being a great shooter coming out of Wisconsin and you know coming to Kentucky. We still haven't seen that game where he just goes crazy, but but it feels like it's there, like like one of those days where he hits seven of nine from behind the arc and gets to the line. You know, for half a dozen and, and drops thirty-five points. Do Kentucky fans, by and large, see that that's there, and they're just kind of waiting for that night where he just completely goes crazy? I think so. I think shooting, con- uh, you know, more consistent from three has been something, especially early in the year. You know, he wasn't hitting a ton of shots from the outside. He's had a couple of games at Louisville. He was very efficient. I think he went ten for thirteen with four threes or something like that. And then against Auburn, he was. He did a really good job as well. Uh, he finished with 20 that game, and Kelton Johnson had 20 as well. I don't know that he's quite been the the outside shooter that was expected of him coming in, but he's he's just an all-around really good basketball player. He really is. I mean, he, he has nights where you don't think he's you know playing all that great on offense, but he still finds a way to score 14 or 15. You know, he can kind of kind of get it in different ways, and you know, he rebounds pretty well for a guard. And, and like I was saying about his defense, I mean, he's. To me, I think he's one of Kentucky's most valuable players, even if he's not really the kind of prototypical two guard that you've seen, you know, under John Calipari at Kentucky. Which, you know, I mean, there's been so many good ones that maybe a little bit unfair to compare him to some of those guys. But he, he's a guy I think uh, you, you can see him growing though, and yeah, like a lot of the guys, I guess. Derek, it's Brian. Hey, Dad. I look at these two teams, you know, both averaging right at 80 points a game, both shooting 48. Kentucky's almost at 49 percent. I think this is going to be a high-scoring basketball game. I think you could see both teams in the 80s tonight. Is that how you see it, and who do you think that favors? And I think the thing about Kentucky, you know, they can kind of play however the other team wants to. I mean, they played against North Carolina. It was an up-and-down game. Uh, I mean, they played a game here about two weeks ago or so, maybe a week and a half ago, against uh, Vanderbilt. That was ugly. I think the final score was 56-47, to but... They kind of found different ways to grind it out. You know, I think against Auburn, it was kind of like that, where it was up and down. Um, tonight, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think um, Mississippi State certainly got some talented kids. I mean, much more so than maybe you're used to seeing in, in terms of these past few years. You know, before Ben Howland got there, but you know, I think Kentucky an up and down game. They're, they're pretty good when they do that. I mean, I think it's hard where Kentucky's so young uh, to execute all the time in the half court. 
So, you know, if Kentucky's able to get some steals with Hagans and Hero like they have been and get some easy buckets that way, that'll definitely help. But, you know, Kentucky defensively, I think a really interesting challenge is going to be with Eric Coleman because uh, Kentucky loves to keep, you know, the big guys around the room to block shots. And, you know, he's got the ability to, to pull you out and hit some threes. So, to me, that's one matchup to watch. This, this might be a game for, for Kentucky where Nick Richards gets in there and plays a little bit more than, than usual. Derek Terry on your radio. Derek S. Terry on Twitter covers Kentucky for the 24-7 site, catspaws.com. Derek, so much of the story early in the year for Kentucky was about perimeter defense and, and not defending the three, allowing teams to, to kind of light them up from the outside. As the season has gone along, is, is Cal pleased with the improvement that they've made on the defensive end, specifically on the perimeter? Uh, if he's satisfied, I, I think they've definitely gotten better. Uh, Auburn still ended up hitting quite a few, but that's just kind of that's just kind of how Auburn does things. Though they shoot a ton of threes, well, they shoot they're like make forty a than, game. Yeah, I mean they're going to make a, you know a, a decently high number whenever they're attempting so many. But I guess Vanderbilt they did a good job from outside, and I'm kind of blanking on who they played the game before Vandy, but they had two straight games for. I guess it was maybe maybe it might have been the following game against Georgia, but basically they had two straight games where they held the opponent under 20 points in the second half. So, to me, that was kind of an improved sign. Although those teams aren't that great, it's still an improvement compared to, I mean, early in the year, VMI came into rough and hit, gosh, I don't know how many threes. They had one kid who ended up with like 35 points. I mean, he, he couldn't miss. And that was a huge story, like you said, early in the year. I think they have gotten better. They're still not great. But it's to me, this team's just kind of the, kind of the typical Calipari trajectory. I mean, they're – it's just like a roller coaster. It's up and down, and this is kind of the time of year, late January and then in February, where you see the team start to, to take off a little bit. You know, in the really good years, this is kind of when it starts to take off. So so we'll see. You mentioned Ashton Hagens and, and what kind of defensive player he is, and, of course, he'll probably be matched up with Lamar Peters, who's one of the most explosive players in the conference. What do you like about that matchup from the Kentucky side? Well, I think Hagen just does a really good job. You know, he's on the ball. He's relentless, and his conditioning's gotten a lot better. I think early in the year, that was something the coaches kind of talked about was him being able to play a lot of minutes. And before Quade Green left, I mean, he had three guards really who were who were rotating, and none of those guys were really playing all that great. But once once Quade left, you know, Ashton's taken that over and. He had eight steals against North Carolina, and you know he against Kobe White. I don't know if y'all watched that game, but Kobe White's one of the better point guards and one of the better freshman guards in the country. And I mean, twice White lost the ball in the backcourt, couldn't even get past half court without turning the ball over. So I mean, he's just kind of relentless on defense. But you know, Peter is a really good player. He's an experienced guy. I mean, I've, I've watched him and you know Cordero Weatherspoon and a couple of those other guys for a few years now, and I mean. I think you know Peters can still get his against Hagans. I don't think it's going to be a total shutdown, but I think just the thing to watch is over the course of the game. You know, can he maybe not rattle? That might not be the right word, but I think you can just kind of see how Hagans is so relentless that it kind of wears on his opponents as the game goes on. Derek, last thing for you this afternoon. This is kind of off the wall, and I guess it's a little subjective. Of, of these remaining home games, the, the Kansas game on Saturday, the game against LSU in early February, the game against Tennessee on, on February 16th, or the rematch with Auburn at the end of February, which of those four games do you think Kentucky fans are most excited about? Oh, wow, that's a good question. I hadn't really thought of that. Um, 
I would say definitely Kansas is always a big game. You're going to have college game day here. Kentucky's actually got a three-game losing streak to Kansas, which, you know, UK doesn't typically have losing streaks to anyone. No. And for Kansas to have beaten them three times in a row is, is uh, some of us probably rubbing fans the wrong way. But I, I think Tennessee's a big one. Last year, Kentucky got swept by Tennessee in the regular season, which hadn't happened this century. The last time Tennessee had done that, I think, was 98-99. The, the Auburn game will be interesting again. Uh, just considering that those two teams have already played, I'm not so sure that they kind of get the same hype as what Saturday's game did. But Mississippi State, uh, I think with this game, having a Tuesday night crowd, you might not see the crowd as into it as you will on Saturday for Kansas. But, you know, I think that's kind of a good thing for Kentucky, though, just in the larger picture. They're playing quite a few good teams here at the end of the year, and that can, that can help the resume quite a bit. I mean, just considering they had, you know, a couple of losses that I wouldn't say were horrible losses, but losing to Seton Hall in Alabama, you know, aren't necessarily – games you want to have on that resume, but they've got plenty of opportunities to kind of correct that and pick up some key wins. Quad one opportunity for both Kentucky and Mississippi State tonight. Derek, appreciate your time this afternoon. Yeah, guys, thanks. Kentucky and Mississippi State coming up at 6 o'clock tonight. Rupp Arena, that was Derek Terry on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com. And go with the home team. More coming up with you, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad in the Renaissance Bank studio. Nobody I know. Back on Sports Talk Mississippi, thank you to Derek Terry for spending a few minutes with us. Covers Kentucky at catspaws.com. I anticipated that his answer would be that Kentucky fans were most looking forward to the game against Kansas. Blue Bloods, whatever. But man, there's some big conference games coming up down the stretch for a Kentucky team that seems to be rounding into shape at the right time, and it really starts tonight in a big yeah. way. Yeah, starts that way for Kentucky, starts that way for Mississippi State. Four of the next five for MSU, ranked opponents. And mm. the one non-ranked team is is at Alabama. So, I mean, there no no gimmies for the next couple of weeks for the Bulldogs. Yeah, I mean, your, your take, Richard, since we started talking about basketball before the season started was there will be no gimmies in the SEC, and that wasn't just lip service. There aren't any anymore. Yeah. Um, what would you think? Maybe A&M is the one where you think, yeah, we probably should win that game, but otherwise you've got to show up and play to beat anybody else? I think A&M's got serious problems, and I don't think Arkansas is very good either. I, you know, They've got some talent, though, so they could, they could they just do. sneak up on you. They do, and and Georgia, I think, is a team. You know, if you're looking at it perhaps from an Ole Miss perspective, who plays Georgia twice, one of those is at Stegman. you got to win both of those if, if you're thinking about being – and now, there may be some margin for error in there, but Ole Miss and Georgia – when Ole Miss plays Georgia, they need to win. They need to win twice. Win probability – for Mississippi State, according to Ken Palm, you mentioned those next four games, Kentucky on the road, Auburn at home, Alabama on the road, Ole Miss on the road. Ken Palm gives Mississippi State a 30% chance to win tonight, although the score prediction is 75-69. Gives Mississippi State a 56% chance to beat Auburn at home on Saturday, Score prediction, 76-74. A 54% chance to win at Alabama next Tuesday night. 
Score prediction 75-74. And a 41% chance to beat Ole Miss in Oxford on Saturday, February 2nd. Score prediction 76-74. So, so, hey, Dad, set the Kentucky game aside tonight. The score prediction for the following three games, Auburn, Alabama, and Ole Miss, home, away, and away, a combined five points. Yeah. Wow. And that's what Mississippi State's margin for error is after going starting 0-2. It's negligible. You know, they don't have a lot. So hey. they've got to find a way to win a couple of those games. And, and, and I don't want to turn this into a numbers thing, but if you just push it two games deeper, mm-hmm. hosting LSU, yeah. 64% chance to win. Score prediction, 78-74. Hosting Kentucky, 55%, 73-71. A little bit bigger margin against Alabama. But then on the road against Arkansas, only a three-point you know, margin there. It, yeah. Uh, based on score projections from Ken Palm, if you're a Mississippi State fan, a lot of close games. Yeah. And that's where you're glad that you have a veteran team. You're glad you have a guy like Quindary Weatherspoon who thrives in those late game situations. And you know, glad you've got you know a veteran you know backcourt because to me in close games having guards who who have been in those situations before is so key. And State's got a boatload of those guys, both Weatherspoons, Peters, and Carter. You you trust those guys with the ball pretty much. Hey, and, and just a final thought here. I, I don't know that this matters one way or the other. It's all SEC play, 14 straight. No no off dates with the 18-game format. Five of the seven games are Tuesday night. I'm sorry, five of the seven midweek remaining games are Tuesday night games. So the good news, bad news on that is a little bit more time to get ready for Saturday games when you play on Tuesday. You get an extra day in there. The bad news part of it is it's a quick turnaround after playing on Saturday, especially if you've got a road game. So so maybe I'm going too far off into the weeds on this. But a road game against Vanderbilt followed by a road game on Tuesday. You get a home game against Auburn followed by a Tuesday night road game with Alabama. There is a. Uh, I'm not going to go through all those. That that that's probably getting a little too, uh, mic, uh, too micro at, yeah. at this point. Well, but as, as the schedule goes along, we'll take a look at kind of some of those Tuesday Saturday turnarounds or, or Wednesday Saturday turnarounds and how they uh, how they matter. Yeah. You, you want to talk some baseball? I would love to. As would I. Uh, D1 baseball has all of its team previews out for the SEC. And what they've done, they've given grades to lineups, pitching staffs, relief pitchers, defensive ability, all of those things. And the scouting scale is 20 to 80. 20 being below average, 80 being like off the charts, majorly good, 50 is an average ranking. Let's start with the projected lineup. This isn't a batting order, just a position deal. Yeah. Tell me if you object on any of these. Dustin Skelton at catcher. Nah. Tanner Allen at first. Mm-hmm. Gunner Halter at second. He's a transfer from Seminole State in Oklahoma. Yeah, put up big power numbers out there. Justin Foscue at third mm-hmm. as a sophomore. Jordan Westberg at short as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. 
Sophomore Rowdy Jordan in left field. Some guy named Mangum playing center. I've heard of him. Elijah McNamee in right. Yep. And the DH, a true freshman out of Poplarville, Landon Jordan. State's going to have some options there, but, I mean, we'll see if, we'll see if he's the guy or not. I'm really proud of Jake Mangum for getting his third doctorate degree. <laughs> He's got tenure at Mississippi State. He has a, a PhD, it's a, it's, an MD. It's a long commute from his mayor's office in Oxford to uh, to classes. Oh, but he makes oh, it work. Yeah, I mean, it would be easier there. if he and AJ Brown would just switch spots. They should save switch. travel time yeah. for both, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, what about this rotation, Ethan Small? JT Ginn, Keegan James. I really like Small. Uh, you saw before his Tommy John surgery, he had really, really good stuff, and he got a hold of it last year. And I think he, you know, he sort of took over as that Friday night starter late in the season. He he outdid Connor Pilkington, and then with Ginn, I mean, this is a guy you hate to put big time expectations on a, on a true freshman, but my goodness, he's a first round draft. Well, choice. then don't be drafted in the first round if yeah, you don't have big time expectations. Round, and you, know, you choose to go to the college. Same thing about you know five star football players is that you expect them to come in and play from day one. You got to expect that from JT Ginn, and I, I I expect him to be a uh, a rotation guy if not at the beginning of the season, very soon into it. Keegan James is a guy I really really like. I think that he is going to be a a solid guy. On uh, on Sundays, maybe a midweek guy here and here and then, and then you got mentioned Cole Gordon. What a tremendous story he was last year. Went from, you know, nobody wanted to see Cole Gordon coming out on the mound. He just he couldn't get guys out at, at one point, and then he couldn't. Guys couldn't get on against him about midway through the postseason. He just became this lights out reliever. I actually saw him in Tampa. He uh, he was working as a student worker out the out at the Outback Bowl. Uh, he's yeah. lost about ten fifteen pounds. Uh, and he said he is locked in and ready for the season to start. It's funny what a haircut and losing a bandana will do for the perception of a player. I loved Hulk Hogan, Cole Gordon, though. I love that. That's I fine, him. but he looked like a sideshow as compared to a baseball player. Uh, might be a little little harsh. Did you watch him in the dugout? Well, I mean, he was. But at that point, he was not like he was out there ever. He was sort of, you know, the rally guy. Now that he's, you know, yes, and 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 then he got a haircut and he lost the bandana and all of a sudden he's pitching in really big moments and he's really effective. I don't think that the the hair is the reason for that. I don't think that's well. That's it's not why. like I he's Samson. That. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I don't. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of the opposite I, I effect, huh? I don't know. Yeah, he's a reverse Samson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so here are the grades from D1 baseball, and again, this is out of eighty, uh, a twenty to eighty grading scale with 50 being average. Uh, hitting overall for the lineup got him at a 55. Hmm. Power, uh, so that's slightly above average. Yeah. Power at 50, so average power numbers. Uh, speed at 40, which is interesting to me. That would say below average from a speed, which is a little bit different than what you've been accustomed to seeing for Mississippi State. But, hey, Dad, when you start looking at that lineup, you go, okay, Skelton... Allen, There's not a lot of stolen bases in that line. Foscue, yeah. Rowdy Jordan. I mean, obviously, Jake Jordan's Mangum got some can speed. fly. He can, he can run. He can run. Mangum and, and Jordan can run. Okay. McNamee? No. Not a blazer? No. Uh, defense, 50. Nah, come on. You don't think so? 
I think they'll be better defensively than that. All right, let's look at the grades when we come back. We'll, we'll finish looking at those. It's Sports Talk Mississippi with you and the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. All you gotta do. Ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Ceasefire, customer inspired. Please don't text and drive. We are digging into D1 Baseball's preseason reports on Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Southern Misses has not come out yet. We'll take a look at that as soon as it does. Looking at the grading right now of Mississippi State, and again, the, the scouting grading scale is 20 to 80, 20 being not really good, like really bad, and 80 being Mike Trout, give or take. So 50 is very average, good, solid, middle-of-the-road college baseball average. Uh, the guys at D1 Baseball have Mississippi State as a hitting team graded at 55. You think that's okay? You think it's a little low? It, it strikes me as just a little bit low, especially, you know, you think about the number of sophomores in that lineup who played a ton of innings last year. Okay. If they if they just can just make a, a good step forward, you know, Tanner Allen hit 278 last year. Can he get above 300? Foskey and Westberg were, were inconsistent, but they were around 240, 250. Can they get it to 270, 280? I think they can. And, you know, you know what you're getting with Mangum, with McNamee, and I think with Rowdy Jordan as well. Um, Power average at 50. Yeah, and this one, I, that I would agree with. State doesn't really have a, a big bat, a guy who I would guarantee right now is going to hit 12 to 15 home runs. Um, Well, in college baseball, 12 to 15 home runs is a massive number. Yeah, but I, I would say that if, if you're going to make a comparison, they don't have a Thomas Dillard in their lineup. Uh, speed at 40. Yeah. Defense at 50. And you had a little bit of a, uh, a concern there. So Mississippi State a year ago fielded at a 973 clip, which is, yeah, 970 is kind of the standard for being just a good defensive team. Yeah. Anything above 970, you're talking about better than, uh, average is not right. I mean, average for college baseball is probably more like 966, 67. Yeah. 970 is good. 973, pretty solid, but not like crazy exceptional. Right, and that's why 40 seems to me like it's like on the the verge of below average. They've got them at 50. Oh, oh for Demons, I'm sorry. Yeah, 50. I, I mean, I guess I think the biggest concern defensively is it's second with Gunnar Halter, who, like okay. I mentioned in the previous segment, put up big power numbers in JUCO last year, but did not fill the ball particularly well. Now he was at short. Uh, last year at the community college. So we'll see if the position change uh, helps them out any. Luke Alexander and Hunter Stovall both gone. Yeah. And, and so they were kind of main, the mainstays year. middle of the infield. And that's something that's been consistently good at Mississippi State over the last few years. Yeah. If you rewind when you had Hunter Stovall at second and the shortstop, why can I not think of his name? He's like 5'9", made every single play. Shortstop two years ago. Ryan Gridley? Yes, thank you. Ryan Gridley. And they, they combined to turn like 783 double They were double really, points. really solid, yeah. Um, so you lose those two pieces in the middle of the infield, and the uh, lineup looks a little bit different. But obviously when you're thinking about defense in baseball, you're thinking about catcher, middle infield, center fielder. How do you yeah. feel about Skelton as the catcher? He's okay. He had some issues last year in the postseason, big time, uh, but... 
you know, as a junior, hopefully he can take care of that. And you do have Marshall Gilbert still on the roster. State's done a good job of recruiting catchers, too. You know, Luke Hancock, uh, the true freshman out of uh, Houston, Mississippi, uh, I think that they'll find a guy to be solid back there one way or the other, but but Skelton will get first crack at it. And then elite in center field, obviously, with Jake Mangum. Yeah. Big-time arm, big-time speed, and just a gamer on top yeah. of that. Uh, starting pitching, they have rated at a 60, and again, that's with the rotation of Ethan Small, JT Ginn, and Keegan James, with Cole Gordon as kind of the number one arm out of the bullpen. All right, we were looking yeah. at this a second ago, kind of guys that are gone versus guys that are coming back. Um Riley Self is back. Yeah. Zach Neff, Blake Smith, J.P. France, all three are gone. Yeah. Cole Gordon is back. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Connor Pilkington is gone. Mm-hmm. Denver McQuarrie is back. Billingsley yes. is gone. What about the rest of the bullpen? I think the the big the big guy to watch is Spencer Price returning. You know, he missed all of last yep. year. After surgery, he was a fantastic closer for Mississippi State uh, in 2017. He and Self were really a great duo back there. So if he can come back and be the, the pitcher that he was, that'll that'll definitely be somebody to watch. Um, we mentioned in, in a perfect James. scenario. Think, hey, Dad, in a perfect scenario, I mean, if everything falls just exactly the way you want it, is it Riley Self in the eighth with Spencer Price in the ninth? I think so. I think so. I think that's that's what worked for MSU in 2017 when they were just they were really strong on the back end of the bullpen there, uh, and then another name to watch is Peyton Plumley, another guy who missed all of the 2018 season. He was suspended after the 2017 season, uh, failed a drug test, and came back. And uh, this spring, or was, or sorry, this this fall was very good. Was very good in summer ball as well. I think they expect him to be a a, a big contributor for MSU this year. Bullpen is ranked at 65, so they see that as a strength. And intangibles, I've got to believe. By the way, the the ranking or the the rating on intangibles is 65 as well. To me, that there's a there's a Jake Mangum factor. Yeah, in, that's what in I was about to say. Shouldn't he be worth? Shouldn't he alone be worth the top rating? Yeah, you. I would, mean, uh, Mang- Mangum will drag a team to victory. Um, big picture, what should Mississippi State? fans expect out of the 2019 Bulldog baseball team? This should be a team that competes for the conference championship, I think. I think they should be in the top. I think if you said who are the top four teams in the conference, three of them are in the the West, obviously, with LSU and Ole Miss, and then I think Mississippi State, and then over in the East, Florida uh, and Vanderbilt are right there, and then you know Georgia is sort of there as well. But I think any any one of those teams, when we finish the season, if you told me they won the SEC, I, I don't know that I would be overly surprised. They've got the right amount of, of, of upperclassmen. I expect these sophomores to take a, a step forward uh, this season. And if, if Halter can be solid at second base, you've got a really solid lineup. And then, you know, pitching-wise, I like Small on Friday nights. I think Ginn's got big things in front of him. And they just have a lot of depth in the pitching staff. I, I feel like this is going to be a pretty good to if – I, if I had to rate them from 20 to 80 – I think they'll be 65 to 70. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, not Mississippi State's record, but the record that it will take to win outright the SEC regular season title. What, 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 the past few years, basically, if you've gotten to 20 wins, you felt pretty good about it. I mean, outside of Vanderbilt going 27 and 3 a few years back, I think if you go. Twenty-two and what would be twenty-two and eight would get you there. Twenty-two and eight, yeah, that would that would win the SEC, I think. Yeah, twenty-two I, and eight, twenty-one kind of, and nine. Twenty-two and eight kind of feels like a number that probably wins it outright. 
Mm-hmm. If you go 20 and 10, I think there's a chance that you've got like a three-way tie. You're in the mix, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. 21 and 9, maybe. Is LSU going to lose nine league games? Is Vanderbilt going to lose nine league games? I mean, all these teams are playing each other. So, I mean, somebody's going to lose. And yeah. like I said, I don't I don't see Vandy. I don't see any team like that 2013 Vanderbilt team was that went 27 and 3. And then what what was LSU that year? Like 23 and 7. That should be good enough to win the conference almost every season and they finished four games back. All right, I tell you what, let's do it because we don't have much time here. We'll hold off uh, for a little while on going through Ole Miss's lineup and the grades that D1 okay. baseball gives them. Let's skip ahead, though, to the predicted records for the uh, the teams in the SEC and the East and the West from D1 baseball. D1baseball.com, those guys do an absolutely fantastic job covering college baseball. There, there's nobody that spends as much time covering college baseball as they do. All right, so 2018 regional teams from last year out of the East. Vanderbilt, Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina all made it to the postseason. Here are the projections for 2019. Okay, those are records and and when... Okay, This is okay, just the projected order of finish. This isn't their projected okay. record. Got you. It's the Vandy, from last year. Vandy winning it. Mm-hmm. Florida finishing second. Georgia third. South Carolina fourth. I did not realize that South Carolina went seventeen and thirteen in the league last year. Yeah, they're pretty solid. Then Kentucky, Tennessee, and Missouri. I think Kentucky bounces back and gets back into NCAA play this year. Do you? Yeah, I do. You're on the Nick Mingione train. I like Mingione. I think I, I think it'd be okay. Uh, predicted order of finish as far as SEC Western Division teams that made a regional a year ago, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Auburn, and Texas A&M. Yes, that is 6 of 7 in the West, and that is 11 of 14 overall. Yeah. Is that right? It Four, was 10 last no, year. 10 of 14. We're saying 11 this year, because, or at least I am. I say Kentucky gets back in. Okay. Uh, they've got LSU picked to win the West. Ole Miss picked to finish second, Mississippi State third, Arkansas fourth, Auburn, and then Texas A&M, and then Alabama. D1 Baseball projects 10 regional teams this year in alphabetical order, Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Texas A&M, and Vanderbilt. Know who they project is the SEC Freshman of the Year? Freshmans, just one. JT Ginn. Got to be, right? Got to be first-round pick. Now you just got to go out and back it up. Yep. College Football Fix is coming your way next. We'll check in with Brian Scott Rippey, who is en route to Tuscaloosa. We're going to look at Ole Miss and how they're rated by D1 Baseball and a whole lot more. Busy 5 o'clock hour is just around the corner, but we'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. We'll check in with Brian Scott Rippey coming up in a little while. He's going to be in Tuscaloosa tonight at Coleman Coliseum for Ole Miss and Alabama, which tips off at 8 o'clock. 
Better uh, have a cup of coffee so you can stay up till the end of that one. Borky will be up. It's just going to interrupt his video game playing time, right? I mean, yeah, as if that is the only thing I ever do when I'm home. What else do you do? I spend a good hour and a half a night working on the next day's show, for one. Oh, okay. Good for you. Somebody's got to do it around here. Mm. <laughs> it's a good point. That is a good point. Um, glad to have you along for the ride this afternoon. Basketball coming up tonight in the SEC. Mississippi State, Kentucky at 6 o'clock. And Mississippi State is a seven-point underdog. If I handed you a $100 bill and said, bet the game, are you taking Mississippi State plus the seven or Kentucky minus the seven at Rupp? I would feel better about taking Kentucky minus the seven. Taking a road underdog, uh, that's 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 tough. That's tough business. I, w- I would mm. probably go Kentucky. This has not been a good year for home favorites in the SEC, though. It's an uh, it's a small sample size, and we're only what five games into the SEC season. But so far, being at home, playing at home in general, has not been favorable record wise uh, in the SEC so far this year. It's a little bit different going to Rupp and being in front of 22,000 people playing a good Kentucky team versus going to Texas A&M in front of 4,000 weirdos. But the the point stands, record-wise, playing on the road has not been difficult this year so far. Is it that it hasn't been difficult, or is it that, again, like we've talked about over and over, the teams are good enough that it looks less difficult just a bunch of good teams playing each other yeah yeah Ole Miss is plus one so the Rebels are getting a point in Tuscaloosa tonight same scenario I hand you a hundred dollar bill you got Ole Miss getting points or Bama at home I got Ole Miss uh getting points really yeah I'll take the Rebels to win that wonder what kind of emotional stability, whatever you want to call it, that Alabama has after losing in Knoxville the way they did on Saturday. I mean, Alabama has to do a buy one, get one free promotion to try to get people in the door tonight, so the atmosphere for a late game is going to be dead. They put all the... I don't want to say they put all their eggs in the in their basket against Tennessee, but they played as well as they absolutely could have and still lost on the road just a couple of days ago. What kind of state are they going to be in tonight? Well, yeah, I mean, if you're whole, if you're Ole Miss, you hope they're fragile, right? You hope <laughs> that they're tired and fragile and disappointed just and just jump ready on to them, hang it up. Yeah, jump on them quickly, and it, you would hope they would lay down. I don't see much laying down uh, out of Alabama or anybody else. You know, here's the thing: look, look at how it's gone so far for Alabama. Um. Two-point win against Kentucky to open SEC play at home. They go on the road and lose to LSU. We've all admitted that's a really good team. Then they come back home and they lose to Texas A&M. Then they go to Missouri. They beat Missouri by 10. And then they come uh, another road game. They lose by three at Tennessee. 
I'm not entirely sure what to make of Alabama. Yeah. I mean, when they beat Kentucky to start the uh, start conference play, I was I thought, okay, maybe you know, maybe they're going to be they're going to be good. You know, they, they they've recruited well, and I like Avery Johnson. I think he's a good coach, and we'll see where it goes. And then, like you said, that losing the Texas A&M game, even though it's on a crazy buzzer beater at the end, how are you letting that team hang around, especially you know at home? I, that I didn't get. So, yeah, Alabama's a team that you know in the next week or so we're going to get a, a, a better idea of what they are because I know you know we talked about them uh, I think last week when we were talking about potential tournament teams their net rating is still good right now they, they, if they can win some games they can get into the tournament but they got they have to win those games some names that you'll see tonight um, Kyra Lewis freshman that's really good for Alabama Herbert Jones is a sophomore now you saw him a year ago at times had big games Tevin Max, the one that went crazy in the first half against Kentucky. John Petty went crazy against Tennessee this week. And then you got some veteran guys like Dante Hall and Dazon Ingram, um, Riley Norris that have been around for a while. So uh, we'll see how this one uh, how this one plays out tonight. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. More coming up. Five o'clock hour. College football is next, and the Renaissance Bank. I'm sorry, the college football fix is next in the Renaissance Bank studio. Here we go. Hour number three, the five o'clock hour with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad on this Tuesday afternoon. Coming up in just a bit. Brian Scott Rippey will check in in route. To Tuscaloosa. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you're a farmer and you've got equipment needs, need to buy a tractor, combine, spreader, loader, cultivator, whatever else that you might need that I can't think of the name of right now, (laughs) Well, Mississippi Land Bank can help you with those things. Also, if it's crop loans that you need, if you need to refinance an existing loan, if you need to buy a piece of land to add to the size of the farm, Mississippi Land Bank can help because that's what they do. They are in the land financing business, and they're in the business of financing the things that go with the purchase of land. They've been doing that for over 100 years. Mississippi Land Bank, online, mslandbank.com. You're in North Mississippi. They are your answer because they know the lay of the land. Ready for a little college football fix? Let's do it. Let's do it. College football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. You been in a Ford lately? If you're already driving one, you know how great they are. If you aren't, then, well, you're missing out. You can go to buyfordnow.com, find out about the full line of vehicles from Ford. Don't stop there. Go test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Talked a little bit yesterday about some changes in the Mississippi State coaching staff. The good news we talked about yesterday was that Bob Shoup has signed an extension. Another couple of years at Mississippi State on his contract, so that certainly is good news. We talked yesterday a little bit about departures, and you opined yesterday that there could potentially be another departure, and last night we found out that that is true. Luke Getze headed back to the National Football League. And you don't see that a lot. The guy, he leaves a job, 
comes to another job, and then the next year he's going right back to where he was. Now he has changed jobs. He was the wide receivers coach in Green Bay. Now he will be the quarterbacks coach. And, I, and if you're going to you know, leave what appears to be a pretty cushy college job, getting to work with Aaron Rodgers is certainly a uh, – a good reason to do so. I think that I think that'll be a good relationship there. Uh, so Getzey is out. Offensive coordinator for Mississippi State in name only, as, as we talked about many times throughout the season. You know, Joe Moorhead calls the plays. Getzey coached the wide receivers. He provided input. He, you know, he would give suggestions. But at the end of the day, the, the play calling fell to Joe Moorhead. So MSU now looking for was looking for uh, two position coaches on the on the offensive side of the ball. But as I think we're about to talk about, one of those positions appears to have been filled. All right, give me the give me the the lowdown. Give me the dirty, dirty on that position that is either <laughs> filled or is about to be filled. Filled the dirty, dirty. That man said. Uh, Mississippi State going to add UConn running backs coach Terry Richardson. Had uh, been in UConn for the past few years. Had been in UConn uh, prior to that as well. Uh, is that the office linebacker? In... No, 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 that's Terry Tate. Terry uh-huh. Tate uh, also had been. Uh, that's disappointing. At Miami. Uh, the University of Miami uh, had been there, one of their recruiting coordinators there, uh, so has some of those, those connections that you want in the recruiting process in a state where, you know, talent rich. Uh, we'll see how what what kind of uh, impact he can make. You know, only three weeks left in this in this recruiting period, uh, so we'll see if he can come in. But it looks like he is going to. to you know, we've, we've talked about Tony Hughes. We don't know where he's going to be yet, but it looks like Richardson is coming in to be the running backs coach. All right, so let's recap the changes for Mississippi State on the coaching staff this offseason. Sure. Mark Hudspeth out as the he's now the head coach at Austin P. Uh, State hires Tony Hughes but doesn't assign a position to him and probably won't until after signing day, if I had to guess. Okay. Uh, Charles Huff out. He's headed to Alabama in a similar role. Luke Getze is out. He's headed back to Green Bay as quarterback's coach. Looks like Terry Richardson is in as running back's coach. And then, like you mentioned, Brian Baker and Bob Shoup, neither in nor out. They're just staying. Uh, they, they signed extensions and will be at MSU for the foreseeable future. I'm still disappointed it's not the office linebacker that they've hired. <laughs> well, they don't need a linebacker's coach, and they've got one of those. If you can hire Terry Tate, you <laughs> hire him, period. I don't care what position it is. I don't know that he's looking for work. I mean, I don't know what he's doing these days. Yeah, I don't either. Um, some of these quotes are, are kind of interesting from a, uh, a story, what, at ESPN uh, with regard to uh, Aaron Rodgers calling Luke Getze the unsung hero of the division round playoff win over Dallas in January of 2017. Uh, Getze saying that it was hard to leave, quote, one of the best organizations, close quote, in professional sports when he chose to uh, leave to go to Mississippi State but headed back to uh, the place where he was. And you're right, I mean, I know you have a change at the top, but to go from Green Bay to Starkville back to Green Bay, yeah. you don't see that very often. I mean, it's not like Manny Diaz pulling a U-turn on, on I-65 or whatever, headed, heading back from Philadelphia to uh, to Miami. But, yes, that is a uh, that is, is an unusual situation. But forget, from what it sounds like, Aaron Rodgers may have had some, uh, some sway in this decision, and if that's the case, you know, franchise quarterback wants you to come back. My guess is Green Bay probably made it attractive for him to do so. Yeah, and I mean, think about that. Not that I mean, everybody's got an ego, right, to to some right. degree. But how does that make you feel if you're Luke Getzey? You're in a good spot. You're happy where you are. You've chosen to leave the NFL behind. But 
one of the top five quarterbacks on the planet says, hey, go hire that guy. Get yeah, him sure. back. I don't care what it takes. Get him back. Yeah. And they do. Yeah. It's, it's got to make you feel good. It's got to make you feel good about yourself and, and feel good about yourself as a coach. I, I always got the impression with Getzey, not that I thought he was you know, not excited to be in Starkville, but he just came across more as an NFL guy. I don't know how into recruiting he truly was. You know, and it's got to be tough. It's got to be tough to go from, hey, I work with professionals to I got to go sit in a living room and, you know, I don't want to despair. Van Cleve, Mississippi, where uh, new, former Bulldog Kevin Fant, now the new head coach down there. And, uh, you know, I got to talk to these, these, these kids for however long and then I got to get Wait, them he on left campus. Pascagoula? And, do I now? He left Pascagoula? Yeah, he's the new there? head coach at uh, Van Cleve. I was just tweeted out uh, yesterday. I saw go. Patrick McGee tweeting that. Um, but anyway. Yeah, Getsy back to the NFL. Like I said, I think that'll be a better fit for him, and I think Moorhead will, you know, probably look for a, a guy who's been at the college level for a couple of years to, to replace him. You know, I don't remember what day it was. Maybe it varied throughout the course of the season, but almost weekly during football season, we played you some audio from when Luke Getsy would talk to the the media. Yeah. yeah, every Tuesday, and he sounded like an NFL coach. Yeah, like. Pretty monotone may not be the right word, but he didn't get up too much after wins. No. And he didn't get down too much after losses and didn't seem to be too terribly interested in repeating the same thing over and over about why the offense was working or why it wasn't working or whether or not they should be running it more, whether or not they should be throwing it more. He was very much of, look, we've got a plan. We know what we're doing. We're sticking to it. Yeah. That that was his mantra throughout the season, be it after a you know a loss where they didn't do very much like Kentucky or, or Florida, or after a win where you know they looked really good at, at times. You know it, it never changed with Lugetti. It was we we know what we're doing. We have a plan. It's going to work. We just have to get there, uh, and then we'll you know if Mississippi State's going to get there. Now we'll find out if it gets there without Lugetti and Charles Huff for that matter as well. Given the option of being a college coach or an NFL coach, which would you, would you prefer? NFL, because it's it, it, because everybody there realizes it's a job. You know, there, there's not going to be the same amount of <sighs> diva's not the right word, but you you know you, these five star kids, you got to sometimes you got to break them down to build them back up. You don't really have that, I think, as much in the NFL because you, you, these guys come in and they understand this is my job. I get paid to be here, and there's no limitations on what you're doing as far as practice. You're you're working on football all the time. Yeah. No boosters either. But a lot more work. Well, yeah, but, you know, that's I think that's part of the gig. I mean, you say a lot more work. I mean, do you think a coach who coaches for Nick Saban is working any less than a coach who works for Bill Belichick? I mean, those guys aren't they're, no, they're sitting not, in their desk. You don't have to work for Nick Saban. I mean, there, there are a lot of places where family matters. True. Like, 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 there's some head coaches who say uh, Dabo Sweeney's a good example. Yeah, had assistants who he made leave to go to their kids' baseball or softball game. Yeah, yeah, but what's that guy? Do? Wait, never mind, never mind. Yeah, what's he done? <laughs> yeah, it's just a reminder that there's more than one way to win. There, there's one way that's very much a proven way. Nick Saban's way is proven. 
But not many people have the ability to win the way he has. That because they don't have that same sure. level of singular, repeatable focus that he's got. And so just trying to replicate Nick Saban because he's won isn't necessarily the best plan for everybody. That's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Sports Talk Mississippi online at supertalk.fm. Glad to be with you across the Magnolia State. Some of you will be getting Mississippi State basketball's pregame show starting in about 10 minutes. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and now on the Farm Bureau phone line, Brian Scott Rippey. He is en route to Tuscaloosa, possibly on the side of the road, somewhere around Reform or Gordo or maybe Elrod. What's up, Rip? Not much. I don't really know where I am, but I'm definitely on the side of the road. Are you still in Mississippi, or have you crossed the border into Alabama? No, I'm in Alabama. I'm next to a sign that says Millport and Carrollton. Don't really know what that means, but I'm close. Oh, yeah, you're right outside of Tuscaloosa. Millport's real close. Nice. Um, so what about this game tonight? Ole Miss is a, a one-point underdog on the road. I asked hey, Dad earlier, I said, if I handed you a $100 bill and said bet the game, pick a side, he said he'd take Ole Miss plus the point. What, what do you think about this matchup? Ooh, I don't know about if he handed me a hundred dollar bill. I mean, I, I mean, I was just coming off a game where you know John Teddy went nuts and they had a great second half. If not for some poor free throw shooting and you know questionable travel call late, they, they might have knocked off Tennessee on the road. So you know, it, it seems like they really need this win after a week on the road. They spent all last week, I believe, with the win at Missouri, and then obviously had the tough finish on Saturday. So. You know, it'll be an interesting matchup between Ole Miss's guards and then also, you know, how they kind of manage Hall inside. So, I mean, the, the line sounds about right. I mean, it sounds like the teams are about even. It probably be the exact same line the other way if the game went off. So it's be a hotly contested one. Yeah. Um, this Alabama team's got some talent on the roster. Are they playing different or differently this year? than they have the last couple of years. Is their pace up a little bit? Do they, they look like a more dynamic offensive team than what we've seen the first couple of years under Avery Johnson? I mean, anytime you lose a lottery pick in college section, you're going to play a little differently. But, yeah, it seems like they want to push it a little bit more. They Kind of kind of similar to what Tennessee likes to do sometimes, even though that game kind of slowed down in terms of scoring, and particularly in the second half, and Alabama was able to kind of crawl back in. You know, certainly different than – slightly different, I guess you would say, than the first couple years under Avery Johnson as he kind of gets more of his imprint and, and his talent into the program. Any idea on plans for Devontae Shuler tonight? Do you think his minutes and kind of the way he's used looks similar to what uh, what Ole Miss did against Arkansas with him? Yeah, if I had to take a guess, it would probably be similar. He may start, he may not. You know, it's going to be a kind of a feeling out process, I would say, for the next three or four weeks until that stress fracture. They call it a stress reaction. I'm not sure. Really, what the difference is, but you know, on the foot, you know, he's in a location on his foot to where he can play through it with, you know, a manageable amount of pain. They do think it is healing, so the, the treatment they're doing and kind of keeping him in a walking boot and limiting him in practice, they believe, is working. So it's kind of kind of a feeling out process on a nightly basis until that thing gets more healed. I, I think the hope is within the next three weeks he's kind of kind of past this if all things go well, but. 
I would imagine it's somewhere around the 25-minute mark, something like that, you know, maybe more if, if they need it. It kind of depends on how the game's going. But, you know, when, you, when you're coming off a game like D.C. Davis played pretty well and acquitted himself pretty well in, what, 27 minutes, I believe he had the other night. I think it, it takes some pressure off from, from keeping Schuler on the floor for that long. Well, this is true. I mean, he was playing 35 minutes a night before this kind of came up, so they obviously need him on the floor, but... Yeah, I would imagine it's around the same thing. It may be a thing though where he starts and then sits for longer, and or vice versa. It just, yeah. I imagine a lot of it will depend on warm ups. Rippy, I'm I'm curious if if managing his minutes is important, an important part. If not starting him is a way to kind of cheat the system on minutes for a little bit. Like you cannot start him, and let's say that that first media timeout comes at oh I don't know. 1505 so so you can like cheat five minutes and feel like if you wait to bring him in five minutes into the first half you've been able to hold on to those minutes and the game really regardless of the score probably isn't out of hand at that point yeah i mean it's a wear and tear injury so any little you know collection of minutes you can save or, or a little bit of time you can save with, with him off his feet and i think the same kind of goes for practice too and what he does off the court it's it's certainly helpful because, again, it's something he suffered through, you know, wear and tear others opposed to one play or planting a leg or one jump or something like that. So, you know, I think it's effective that any time you can kind of kind of relieve the pressure he's going to put on his foot while he's in the game, it's certainly helpful even if it's, you know, a small size, like you said, first five minutes or even three minutes or something like that. Hey, i got a trivia question for you. You ready? I think so. In the history of the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame induction process, how many players have been unanimous first ballot Hall of Famers? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. So I'm going to take a guess and say um, 12. Come on, Rippy. Well, I mean, I've been alive for like what less than a third less than a fourth of this like what yeah but the, but you're no you're not close the answer as of 15 minutes ago is one one what did i miss mariano rivera was the first ever unanimous first ballot hall of famer in the history of that process that's pretty impressive honestly i guess that makes sense now that i'm, I'm you know now, listening to the question, because there are a bunch of writers that vote differently, and you have a lot of disparity on who gets votes and who doesn't. So I guess that makes sense, but I would have figured there's a more, I don't know, I guess the theory there kind of complicates things too, but that is surprising. I figured there'd be no, a handful of guys. No. I mean, Babe Ruth hand. wasn't unanimous. Ted Williams wasn't unanimous. Ty Cobb wasn't unanimous. Lots of others as well. And look, you see how ridiculous I'm just, that sounds, though? Yes, I know how ridiculous it sounds, and I'm wondering if maybe, just maybe, we've turned a page in the crusty old baseball writer era. I mean, if that's what you're hoping for, this is definitely a positive sign. But it makes it makes sense to a degree. But like, right? He's the greatest closer ever, and the greatest to do what he did of all time, and probably by a wide margin. But you would have thought something would have come along at another position similar where there's no argument. But I guess if you kind of go around, you know, the eight positions on the diamond, you could, you could, I guess every other position is kind of arguable as well, far as who's the greatest ever. A couple, a couple years ago, 
a couple years ago, somebody puts things in a ballot and doesn't have Greg Maddox on it. I mean, that's unacceptable. Whoever whoever does that shouldn't be allowed to vote. Tony Gwynn, not a, not a unanimous Hall of Famer, you know, two three years ago, makes no sense. Ken Griffey yeah, Jr. It, was not unanimous. And Rivera's job was so specific on a nightly basis that maybe it makes it a little easier to hone in and, and kind of even give if you are the old crusty sports writer and be like, okay, this guy was clearly the best to ever do it at his job. I don't really see how, you know. I don't see how Harold Baines got off. How, why is Harold Baines a Hall of Famer today? There are a lot of guys <laughs> Yeah, I mean the first one that pops in being local to, to this region is Dale Murphy. Murphy's two-time MVP. You know, he did it to himself. Four hundred. Yeah, he did it to himself. He hit four hundred. He's in. Yeah. And he was playing at Coors Field of all places. He could have bunted two more home runs. Yeah. It's a weird process, though, right? Because it feels like every third class you have that one guy where you're kind of like, wait a minute, how does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Harold Baines gets in on, like, the competition committee, like those 16 guys that sit in a room, and, and, you know, he didn't get voted in by the baseball writers. He got whatever. So, yeah, 425 ballots, 425 thumbs up for uh, Mo Rivera. Strong Uh, class, too. Yeah, really, uh, really was. So, Rippy, are you going to eat before the game, or are you going straight to Coleman? Probably straight to Coleman. I have to go pick up a parking pass and a credential, so they let me in because I probably look pretty suspicious. Um, so, probably just eating in the arena. Nothing too adventurous. You're really going to look suspicious if you carry that javelin inside. Yeah, how did that come about? Um, Luke Johnson from Southern Miss, we were talking with him about basketball and football and some other things, and uh, he mentioned as we were wrapping up that there was a triple jumper at uh, Southern Miss who was like third in the world and first in the United States and just uh, set a personal best, and um, he followed it up with a tweet kind of saying which event each of us would compete in, and there you go. Interesting. Well, how did I come down with this? Uh, You'll have to ask Luke next time we talk to him. Sounds good. I don't know. I'm just intrigued to be part of the steeplechase. All right, Rippy, get you a couple of Red Bulls. Stay awake on the ride home tonight. Sounds good. See you all tomorrow. It's Brian Scott Rippy on. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.